In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Peter got it right before he got it wrong. When we last left our hero, as the serials used to say, Peter had answered Jesus' question, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And to that, Jesus says, It is God's own truth. And this faith will be a foundation for a community, a church, before which the gates of hell and death will fall. So far, so good. And Peter is happy to be on board. But Jesus almost always has something else to say. He knows what sort of world he is walking through. He understands that in some way his life will be given for the healing of the world. We are going to Jerusalem, he says. And Peter is pretty clear that nothing Jesus describes next fits into his theology. This is not what happens to the Christ. You can't build a community hanging on a cross. This cannot be, God forbid it. And then Jesus gets real clear. We can argue theology with each other. Different perspectives, insights, new understanding of scripture, reflection on our own experience or observations, there can be great conversation there. But best not try to argue theology with Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. It's a harsh response. But Jesus will not be deterred from his mission. He will follow the path that the Father lays before him. Now, let me be clear. If you have questions and doubts, those are welcome and lead to deeper understanding. Faith reaches farther than we can explain and sight will lead us to something that we don't see yet. Job refused to let go of his question. Abraham argued with God's judgment. The Psalms are full of prayers that ask how long. Jeremiah called, cried out in frustration, demanding that God rouse himself and act. But Peter is doing something different here. He's correcting Jesus. Peter is claiming that his right answer has completed the story. If Jesus doesn't fit into that, then Jesus must be wrong. That's not the stance of discipleship. Jesus is very clear his path leads to betrayal, condemnation, and the cross. In another place, he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And when Peter insists that that can't possibly be right, Jesus has yet more to say. His followers, too, will face misunderstanding, rejection, and even death. And if you don't get that, he says, get out of the way. The rest of you, take up your cross and follow me. I like the church built on the rock, defeating evil and death a lot better. So did Peter. So what does it mean to carry your cross? Before we make this demand of Christ into a metaphor or analogy, we need to stop and remember that there are Christians for whom faithfulness to Christ does lead to real danger, rejection, or even death. That may not be our path, but it is the path for far too many in this world where evil and fear wield power and carry a real threat. And as we pray, and we should pray for Christians under persecution, 
we own up to the ways in which the church has persecuted others and been silent before injustice, oppression, racism, or anti-sentimentism. The gospel makes it clear that right belief can take a step into something absolutely contrary to Christ. If it is a cross that we are carrying, it will in some way lead to the world's healing. It will be a source of mercy and strength for someone else. We don't need to seek out suffering or provoke others to attack us, and there is suffering that we just do not understand where we cannot see the good. That doesn't mean God is not present and able to walk with us and bring some light. Before I decide that this is a cross that Jesus asked me to bear, it's worth asking if it's a problem of my own creation or the normal realities of our mortal life. But even there, we can look for ways that lead towards God and for the patience that, as Paul says, overcomes evil with good. If Jesus' call to take up our cross is heard as a metaphor, Paul is absolutely explicit. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, bless those who persecute you, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Christians who will never face direct danger because of their faith still are called to a way of life that can be strange or unsettling to this or any other culture. When we take on the norms and habits of discipleship, we do not look and sound like everyone else around us. And that can start at uncomfortable and might reach into dangerous. Those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose it for my sake will find it. What do you lose by following Christ? There are things we cannot say or do or hold close to our hearts if we are disciples. If Peter didn't want Jesus to follow his challenging path, he probably had the same hesitation about the path Jesus asks us to follow. Being a Christian may ask more of us than we expect, and we may fail in ways that surprise us, as we continue to follow Jesus. And then, when we begin to come to terms with this suffering servant, with the challenges that lie before us, when we understand the crucified Lord who prays, Father, forgive them, when we gather once more at the table that puts us in the night in which he was betrayed and still provides the bread of life, when we begin to understand what a full, perfect, and sufficient act his death was, Jesus carries us one step further. Jesus told them the whole story, even if they didn't hear it. The Son of Man would be killed, and on the third day be raised again. The resurrection was unexpected. They had no reason to think that stone would ever move again. When we grasp what the cross means and begin to follow the crucified Lord, Jesus turns our mind and our hopes towards a future that is boundless and brilliant. Peter had even more to grasp. Beyond the cross, the empty tomb. There's always one more thing that Jesus needs us to see, hear, believe, and take into our lives. And then, if Jesus pointed those disciples to the future that lay ahead of them in Jerusalem, the Son of Man we raised on the third day, he turns our vision towards a farther horizon. The Son of Man is coming with the angels in glory, 
And there will be a time when all is set right, when evil is exposed for the lie and distortion that it is, when every action that echoes God's grace is evident, blessed, and brought to fulfillment. Our faith, our discipleship, rests on a conviction that Christ's death and resurrection changes the structure of existence. We stand in a different place before God and with each other since that happened. And God is still active and working. There is a future before us that includes a living Christ who will bring all things to their perfection, whose kingdom will have no end. And that there are people who indulge in lurid and self-aggrandizing fantasy about it. There are people who really need to stop reading the Revelation. But the disciples didn't understand the cross or the empty tomb as they were walking through Galilee. So it's not surprising if I don't get the end game towards which God is leading the whole creation. But Jesus is always more than we can grasp or understand today. Paul's call for us to be transformed, to live God's future, requires an immense hope. Usually the reason I can't extend mercy or kindness is fear. We grasp at little efforts towards revenge because we forget that God is judge. I scheme to protect myself from the challenge of discipleship when I forget that our hope lies in Christ who will restore all things, including me and you. Peter didn't understand the journey to Jerusalem, but he learned to follow. It might be hard for us to see our path, either following Jesus in the way of the cross or our path into the glory of an everlasting kingdom. There is more to learn, more to offer of ourselves, and there is always more grace and goodness that overcomes evil. The gates of hell and death do not prevail. Amen.